Thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to hear about how lives are changed. And if that's you, let us know and send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now enjoy today's message. It's so good to be with you today. In case you don't know who I am, if you're thinking, who is that woman on the stage? Well, let me tell you, my name is Marissa, and I get the pleasure of being married to our pastor. So that is who I am. I am the pastor's wife of this house, and it is a great honor and joy that I get to be up here this morning. Um, You see, this was not planned. I've never been given the opportunity to do a Christmas message before because kind of a big deal, you know, it's like the birth of our Savior, like it's a lot of weight, you know, give me a Sunday that's not, I mean, all Sundays are dependent, but you know, whatever. Anyway, they're all big deals, but Christmas is really big, okay? So it all happened this week because we were on a little date, and I said, honey, tell me about your message. What are you going to, what are you going to preach on this week? And he started telling me some things, and then me and my big mouth added my opinion of some things that I thought, oh, you should do this, and you should do this. And he said, that's really good. You should give it. And I said, no, I shouldn't. And he said, yes, you should. And I said, no, I shouldn't. And he said, I'm the boss at Velocity. And I said, okay, I'll give you that, but just remember, I'm the boss everywhere else. And so that's where we got to this point. So at first I was kind of like, I don't really want to do it. But then I got to thinking, actually, it could be good because some things were said last week that I need to clear up, okay? Last week, my lovely husband alluded to the fact that I buy my own Christmas presents. Okay, it was three, all right? They were very small items that I just was like, I picked them up. I was going to get them anyway. I was like, you might as well just put them under the tree. Take the pressure off of yourself. No big deal. But let me just tell you, I am not the only one that does that, okay? Somebody was buying shoes for his pastor friends and found a pair that he just couldn't live without, bought them, and said, you can wrap these up for me. So it's a two-way street in our house that we each buy our own Christmas presents. I think that's how good marriages are built. Buy your own presents and give it to the other person, you know? Then there's no, like, disappointment, no, like, guessing. It's all good, but I I really am glad to be up here, and I can't believe that we're less than 10 days away from Christmas, you know? How many of you are are ready? Like, nobody. Okay, well, good. Well, good news, you have a week, so um, I I have not wrapped a single Christmas present um, up to this point, so if you need me for the rest of the day after I eat some lunch, you will find me locked in my room wrapping Christmas presents frantically. I don't wrap my own Christmas presents, though. That's where I draw the line. I may buy them, but I don't wrap them. Well, um, I am excited to give you this message, and I think that this series is so great. It kicked off beautifully last week. Did you guys enjoy last week's message that my husband brought where he talked about the shepherds in the Christmas story? And he said one line in it that really has just stuck with me all week. He said that even in the middle of our mess, Jesus can show up. And so today we're going to kind of keep on with that theme, and we're going to look at the Christmas story through Mary's perspective. Now, I think we can find ourselves in Mary's story because really her story is our story. She was just an ordinary girl, but she was chosen by God to do an absolutely extraordinary thing. 
And I know that we're all familiar with Mary's part in the Christmas story. You know, an angel came to Mary and told her that she was going to get pregnant with the Son of God. And she's like, this is crazy. And the angel gave her a little bit more description of how it was going to happen. And she was like, okay. And then sweet baby Jesus was born. And that's the Christmas story. Thank you for coming. We'll see you next week. But I think what we miss in this story is the amazing call that God placed on Mary's life and what it must have been like for her to walk that call out. And I want to first say, in case you didn't know this already, but we all have a call on our life. We were all created for a purpose. It wasn't by accident that we were plopped here for this very moment. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You were set apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Long before you were created, Long before you wound up in Lawrence, Kansas, on December 16th, God knew you would be here. He knows our story because he wrote our story. And it's not like he just looks down from heaven and is like, okay, I need somebody to do this, so eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you'll do. No, he knew long before we ever did what we would be doing. He planned it for us. It's not a surprise to him. We just need to get with the program. But we allow Satan to tell us so many times what we're not. We let him fill our mind with lies rather than seeking God for his truth. And in this story, Mary, she was just an ordinary girl, yet she was handpicked and chosen by God for this extraordinary calling. And I think that's why we can relate to Mary You know, sometimes we feel like I'm only a girl, I'm only a guy, I'm only a mom, I'm only a dad, I'm only a student, I'm only a recovering addict, I'm too old, I'm too young, I have too many mistakes in my past, I have too many faults, I feel like I'm not good enough. You see, that's exactly where God wants you to be. The only prerequisite for being used by God is a willing heart and courage to take that first step of obedience. And my prayer today is that as we go through Mary's story, you'll see that she did just that, that she was an ordinary girl with an extraordinary calling that she walked out. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1 with me. And if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay because we're going to put the words on the screen for you. And we are going to be in Luke 1 starting in verse 26. So Let's read. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel said, to, or the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. 
And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I'm calling this message today, if you're taking notes, when ordinary becomes extraordinary. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for for who you are and what you are. Lord, we thank you for your house. We thank you for church. We thank you that we get to come and lean into your word, Lord, that our lives are transformed when we spend time with you. God, I just ask that all of our hearts and our ears and our mind would be open to receive everything that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you all know that in Lawrence, there's several houses that you can drive up and they have like a whole show where you tune the radio. Did you guys know that? So Friday night, I was like, let's do this. But I didn't realize it's not all yards. <laughs> so my kids are like, when is the show gonna start? And I'm like, this is it. <laughs> and then I realized we were not in the right place. So <laughs> maybe, maybe tonight we'll find the right place. I don't know. Some of you said that your Christmas traditions are to watch all the Hallmark movies, right? You love some Hallmark movies? I'm pretty sure that I heard someone say their Christmas tradition is Elf on a Shelf, okay? Now, we are not a church that condemns people, but we are a church that believes in the power of prayer, breaking every stronghold and bondage that keeps us captive. So we will do that at the end of service to release you from Elf on the Shelf. Christmas traditions, they are fun. They, they're something that we make up to just make the holiday more fun. And I think when we're kids, sometimes we think that our parents make up these weird traditions and we don't understand why they're doing them. And then when we get older and have kids of our own, we're like, those traditions actually have some meaning. My husband told me when he was a kid that one of the traditions in their family was that they always would bring um, their dad, who was a pastor, his Bible, and he would read to them the Christmas story before they could open presents. And my husband said, I never knew the Christmas story was that long. And so that's what they did as children. And now that we have children, we do that, except my kids don't bring him his Bible. They chuck him his phone and say, read it so we can get to the stuff. (laughs) We're really hopeful that they will continue this tradition as they grow up. Another tradition that we have is we do advent calendars in our family. And again, they're probably more into the chocolate than the reading of the scripture, but it's good seed planted. You know, eventually, eventually they will learn to not be so weird. And the kind of the last tradition that we have in our family, and it's nothing that Justin and I ever set out to do. It's something that our kids kind of started, but it's been fun. And that's we watch the Charlie Brown Christmas on TV. You know, it comes on ABC like around Thanksgiving and then my kids, they record it. So it's always with us. So we can still be watching Charlie Brown Christmas in July and it's great. And I like that, that special. It preaches the gospel on network television. So I'm all for that. But I think sometimes we like to think that the Christmas story is just like it was in Charlie Brown's version. It's all nice and neat and calm and pretty packaged with Joseph and Mary and tiny baby Jesus. But the reality of it is the Christmas story was so far from calm. The Christmas story began long before we even get to Luke chapter 2. It starts when this angel appears to this young teenage girl. We brush right over the part of the story 
where this normal, ordinary girl who's about to be married, probably in the most exciting time of her life, didn't have any special qualifications for what she was about to be called to do. She finds herself in the middle of some chaos, in the middle of some stress, in the middle of some doubt and some worry. I wonder today how many of us could say, I find myself in the middle of some chaos. I'm finding myself in some stress, or the situation's given me some uncertainty, some doubt, some worry of how is it going to end? How am I going to make it through this? And what I love about all parts of the Christmas story is just what my husband said last week, that it's in the middle of the stress and of this chaos that God sends Jesus. God came near to us through a messy situation. And sometimes we believe the lie that it's when you have it all together on the inside or you look good on the outside that that's when you can be used by God. But here's the thing. It's in your weakness that makes you the prime candidate to be used for God to work in and through your life. Like I said at the beginning, we all have a God-given calling for our life. Whether we feel like we're walking in it or not. Or maybe we're a little bit afraid to step into it. Or maybe we are walking in our calling, but we feel so unqualified for the calling that God has placed on our life. We all have a call, a purpose that we have been created for. Now, I have often shared about my own personal struggles with my calling and my assignment and how maybe somebody else should have been picked for this life that I get to live. I often feel like, who I am isn't enough for the jobs that I've been given because in my head, I still feel like I'm just a little girl. No matter that I have four kids and I'm married to an amazing husband and we get to lead a life-changing, life-giving church, I still feel like I'm a little girl. Being confident in who God has called me to be and what God has called me to do has been challenging. And I think that's okay because if it were easy, we'd leave no room for God to show up in our calling. And I know your situation might be different than mine. Your calling is different than mine. But I think if we could be honest with each other for a minute, we could admit that there are times when we feel like we are not enough. Times when we feel like, when am I ever going to feel like I'm the right mom or the right dad for these kids? Or when am I going to feel like, I'm the right person for this job, that nobody else could do it better than me? Or when am I going to feel like God should use me? I have something on the inside of me that he put there that makes me uniquely qualified, and he should use me. If anyone has ever felt unqualified for the calling on their life, I think it would have had to have been Mary. You see, when Gabriel appeared to Mary, it was a big deal. 400 years had passed from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. It had been silent. God hadn't spoken through a prophet, through a messenger for 400 years. So it seems fitting that when he does speak, it's going to be some big news, right? He sends a messenger, the angel Gabriel, to Mary, and he says to her in verse 28, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And then in verse 29, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting might this be? Now, I don't think Mary was troubled at the fact that Gabriel appeared to her. 
I think maybe she was surprised, maybe a little shocked. I don't think she was troubled. I think what she was troubled at was the words he called her. He called her highly favored. We don't always see ourselves as God sees us. And if I put myself in her shoes, when someone calls me how God sees me and I yet to see myself that way, I'm kind of like, who are you to say that about me? You know, kind of like, you don't know me, so why are you saying this about me? And the angel senses the troubles she's feeling because in verse 30 he says, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. He says, don't be afraid, but how could you not be? I often wonder if Mary marked her life as there was everything before Gabriel and then everything after Gabriel. Like this was the pivotal moment on which her whole life changed. And I wonder when the realization came to her that everything was about to be different. You know, I think of, of, of people when they're about to have a baby, you know, they take the test and they realize that they're pregnant. And initially, like, you don't feel pregnant. You certainly don't look pregnant. No one else knows you're pregnant. But as soon as you see the positive, you know everything is different. You know your life is marked different now. I wonder if she recognized it in the authority in the way that Gabriel spoke. I think we get a little nervous when we sense God is speaking to us because we know that everything is about to change. When God is prompting us to do something, we know there will be a change. And maybe those feelings of, I'm not enough for this calling or for this assignment that I've been given start to come up in us. And I think what Mary does next is key. When we feel unqualified for our calling, this is what we can do. We can ask the right questions. In verse 34, it says, how will this be since I am a virgin? She just asked a question, how can this be? Now, I think when we're all faced with some big things, initially we kind of have a little bit of doubt. We kind of start those questions of, I'm not sure. But I don't believe that this was a question of doubt. I believe that this was a question of direction. She, I think it was a question of direction because the angel answered her by giving her some next steps. In verse 35, he says, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You see, Mary asked the right questions, and when you feel like you aren't enough, it's okay to ask God for direction. What the angel told Mary, it was not a small thing. It was not an easy thing. It was not an ordinary thing. It was an extraordinary thing. It was, in fact, a thing that was going to follow her for the rest of her life. Have you ever thought what it must have been like to be in her present, not her historical fame? To start off with, she has to tell her husband-to-be that not only is she pregnant, but she's pregnant with God's child. And an engagement in those days, it was kind of like a marriage. You know, you couldn't just give the ring back and go your separate ways. No, you had to go through a divorce. And we know that Joseph didn't initially believe her because the Bible tells us that he was going to quietly divorce her until an angel appeared to him. In those days, you didn't get pregnant out of wedlock. At least you didn't do it and still get to be a part of your community. So she was probably thinking like, things like, I'll be pushed out. I'll be forgotten alone and alone. 
She probably wondered, will anyone believe this? Will anyone believe me? What's going to happen to me? Are my parents going to kick me out? Will Joseph still love me? Am I going to spend the rest of my life alone raising this baby? And you know, God didn't send a messenger to the whole town to tell the plan. He didn't send Gabriel to be like, hey, everyone, she's cool. She's not telling a lie. Like, this is all on the up and up. Everything's good. No, he only sent the messenger to Mary. And there were people for the rest of her life that didn't believe that Mary was pregnant with God's child. But Mary didn't ask God for certainty. She didn't ask him for a sign. She just asked, how? I feel like so many times in my life I've wanted out of my calling. So I asked God, like, God, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Are you sure you want me to be a pastor's wife? Because I know me and you know me and we both know I don't do pastor wifely things all the time. You know what I'm saying, God? <laughs> or I'll say things like, God, are you sure you want me to raise these kids? I mean, I love them with all my heart, but you see me Googling math problems under the table. I don't think I'm smart enough to raise these kids. Well, probably like your kids, my kids all have things that they don't like to do. And it would be really so much easier for me if they would all just not like the same thing. But they all have different things that they don't like. So I have one kid that he does not like to run errands. I have one kid that really does not like to go to school. I have one kid that is not a fan of her bed or sleeping from 2 to 4 a.m. And I have another kid that is not a fan of doing homework. And I mean, that could be all kids in general, but in particular, this one kid in our house really dreads homework. And we go through this struggle almost every night that my child puts off doing his homework until it's the end of the day and he has to go to bed. And he will do everything else, mostly like, you know, piddling around or volunteering to, to help watch one of his siblings or, you know, can I do the dishes for you, mom? Or like all sorts of things just to get out of having to do homework. And then it's time to go to bed and we've got this whole issue of like, you got to do your homework. Now, if you see, if my son had a different mom, she would insist that when he gets home from school that he would sit down, have a nice healthy snack and do his homework at the table before we did anything else. But alas, my kid has me. And so we are in this predicament. So almost every night we go through this routine about him complaining about his homework. And he spends so much time telling us how his brothers have it so easy and how he wishes he could be in their grade again. He'll plead with me to give him the answers. And if I won't give them to him, he'll ask Alexa for the answers. And on and on it goes. And what happens is the work is not hard. He just needs to do it. We spend more time telling him to do the work than it actually takes him to complete the work. And I can't tell you how many times I've said to him, and I'll do it in my best mom voice minus the yelling because I promised my husband I wouldn't yell in church. I will look at my son and say, you need to do your work. I don't know how many times I have told you, you can do this, it's easy, you just need to sit down and do the work. It can be so frustrating as a parent to know what your child needs to do to give them clear instructions, and they still won't listen to your wisdom. Am I right, parents? How frustrating it can be. All the parents of teenagers, I know I don't have a teenager yet. I'm bracing myself, but all you teenagers, take it easy on your parents, okay, this Christmas. They do know what they're talking about. But I think that must be sometimes how God feels about us. 
Like he wants to shake us and say, I'm giving you clear instructions, just listen to me. In my own life, I feel like God has said to me over and over again, Marissa, I have called you to this, and there is so much for you in this. You just need to stop complaining. Stop asking me to take the situation away. Stop comparing to yourself to others, and just do your assignment. Do what I've told you to do. When I'm struggling with accepting my calling, it can be hard and confusing to live it out day to day. And that's the exact state that the enemy wants me to be in. He wants me to be stuck in generalities, and he wants me to be overwhelmed with all the things that I think I should be doing to be great in my calling. You know, for me as a mom, sometimes I think, well, good moms, they have perfectly decorated homes for Christmas, a tree in every room with sentimental ornaments of all the great things that they have done as a family. And great moms, amazing moms, they, they wrap their gifts with real ribbon, not the stick-on bows. Good moms, they, they put encouraging notes in their children's lunchboxes to tell them how much they love them and how much they're thinking of them for the day. And great moms, they don't buy Lunchables and call that a balanced meal. Good mom, you know, she would never forget to send a field trip permission slip or remember if she paid for the field trip. Great moms, they would go on the field trip and bring the snack along. That's what a great mom would do. Now, I know I'm talking as a mom, but maybe for you, you have some of those things too that you put in your life. A great dad would be home more. A, a great leader would lead well. What is it in your life that the devil has you stuck in, in generalities? You see, the enemy, he wants us to be overwhelmed. He wants us to feel like we're never going to measure up to all the things that God never even asked us to do to fulfill our calling. But when I feel overwhelmed and I need help, I have a helper. You know, the Holy Spirit is there to guide us. He will speak to you in very specific steps, but only when you ask. When I ask for help to not feel so overwhelmed and say things, you know, like, ah, I'm not connecting with my kids. What can I do, God? The Holy Spirit may say things like, maybe after school, put your phone down and spend time talking to your kids. Then you'll feel connected. Or maybe I'll ask for help with, in my relationship with my husband, and he'll say, maybe you should apologize for the way you spoke to him last night. Or it could be something not quite so hard, like, God, I'm feeling a little bit lonely, like I don't know anyone. Maybe the Holy Spirit's telling you, join a team. Be around some positive influences. When the Holy Spirit speaks, it's often not out loud, but it's an impression. It's specific. And the more you practice hearing and doing, the more you recognize that voice in your life. So stop asking God to give you a different assignment or to confirm that this is the right thing for you and start asking him to reveal to you what your next step is that you need to take. See, God gave Mary confirmation even though she didn't ask for it. We find in verse 36 that the angel says to her, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. It's almost like the angel was saying, Mary, if you need proof that God does the impossible, go see Elizabeth. 
I wonder what deep level of assurance and confidence it gave Mary to hear that her cousin, who was barren, who she probably spent time with talking to, shedding tears about this very thing, is now going to have a child of her own. You see, I find that when I put my head down and do the job that God has told me to do, the confirmation I need will follow. He'll whisper a word of encouragement to me through a worship song at church, or he'll send a, a friend to send me some encouraging words, or maybe a coworker to tell me that I'm doing a good job or that I led that project really well. But it's not because I'm seeking it. Because if I'm constantly seeking the assurance, I'll never find it because my heart won't be ready to receive it. But it's when I get my heart in the right place and I take that step of obedience that the confirmation will follow. When you think you aren't enough for the calling God has placed on your life, start by asking the right questions. And then also, remember who you are. Verse 38, Mary says to the angel, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. In other words, she's saying, let it happen just like you told me. I'm heart and soul in this. I'm completely surrendered. Mary had done nothing, and yet she found the favor of God, and God gave her a great promise. All she had to do was say, I surrender and let it be unto me as you have said. And I think that that's all that God wants from us today. Mary knew who she was, and she focused on that. You see, when I feel like I'm not enough, it's usually because I'm focusing on who I'm not rather than who I am. Mary could have made a list of all the reasons why she was not the right girl for this job. She could have said, nobody is going to believe this. She could have said, God, I'm, I'm not a mom. I don't know anything about raising a child. I'm not even a wife. I don't have any money. How am I going to raise a king? I don't have any formal theological training. I can't raise the son of God. She could have said, God, I'm an ordinary girl. But she decided to surrender and see herself as God's chosen instrument for this assignment. Mary was focused on who she was, but she also focused on who God was. And verses later, I think it's um, around verse 46, Mary starts repeating back things that the angel said to her, to her. She calls herself blessed and highly favored. And then she goes on to talk about the greatness of God, how he's done great things and performed mighty deeds and he extends mercy to those who fear him. Now, this can be counterintuitive because when I feel overwhelmed, my immediate tendency is not to focus on all the reasons that I am the person to do this, but I focus on the reasons why I'm the wrong person for this assignment. And when you start to think about all the ways that you failed, and then you start to think about how you've tried this before, and then your thoughts go to, well, maybe I should just quit. And if I can't actually physically quit, then I'll just kind of mentally check out. So then I'm going to go into this downward spiral. And I've mentally checked out, and then I'm angry with myself, so I become depressed. And then because I'm depressed, I start to stay home from church because I'm making poor decisions, and I don't want anyone I know to be around me, So, and I don't want anyone to know what's going on. So I'm just going to, you know, not go to my community group, or I'm just going to block off dates and not serve at church, and on and on and on it goes. But when you feel like you're not enough, this is what happens. This is the moment where you can lean into God, where you can recall all of his past faithfulness and call on his present strength. 
And then you get yourself around other people in church or in your team or your community group and you position yourself to receive that burst of encouragement that reminds you of who you are and gives you the strength that you need to keep going. The Bible says that Mary was highly favored. It doesn't say that she was highly righteous or that she was highly spiritual or even highly qualified. It says that she was highly favored. And I would say that that is us today. We are highly favored of God. The same God that pursued Mary is pursuing us and seeking us. And he has a promise for us that he wants to see fulfilled in each of our lives. And that brings me to my third and final thought that I have for you today. When you think you aren't enough or that you are not qualified for the calling on your life, start by asking the right questions. Then remember who you are and finally keep moving toward your calling. So here's Mary. The angels come to her and she's probably got a million questions like, what am I going to tell my parents? What's Joseph going to do? How am I going to raise this baby boy? She could have literally been paralyzed with fear. But what does she do? She moved on the one thing that the angel told her. In verse 39 it says, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this may not seem like that big of a deal to you, like Mary went to Elizabeth's house. No big deal. Well, it is a big deal, and I know that because I Googled it, okay? And Google would not lead me wrong. Mary lived in Nazareth, and Nazareth to Judea, where Elizabeth lived, was a three to five day journey, depending on how you went, if you rode on a caravan or you walked. And the Bible tells us that Mary hurried there. Some of us feel so lost, we don't even know what our calling is anymore. We've ventured so far off the path, we don't even know how we're going to get back. But what I believe God is saying is, go back to the last thing I told you to do, and then he'll give you the next step when you get there. Maybe for you, that's God has told you to forgive a family member that hurts you. And you know with Christmas just around the corner, you're going to see that family member, and it's time that you do some forgiveness. Maybe God has told you to be a light at your job. Instead of joining in with everyone and complaining about all the things that you don't like, start speaking words of life. Start thanking God that you have a job. Maybe God has called you to serve in a position that you don't necessarily want to serve in, but you do it and you do it faithfully. Maybe it's going back to a time where you know that you clearly heard God tell you to surrender this area of your life and you actually go and do that. You see, we always want to know what our next step is. We're always asking God, what's my next step? What's my next step? And God's like, I'm not going to give you a next step. I already gave you a step. You just need to obey that first step I gave you, and then I'll give you your next step. Now, that doesn't mean that once you take that first step of obedience that everything is going to be smooth sailing. You see, Mary, she took that step of obedience, but she had a long road ahead of her. She had to give birth in a barn without any help. Then she had to spend two years on the run to protect the life of Jesus. And eventually she's going to watch him 
die on a cross. Her journey was going to be difficult. But aren't you glad that God doesn't always lay out the plan for us? If the angel had come to Mary and said everything that was going to happen, I think she would have been like, that doesn't sound like a good idea. I don't want any part of this plan. But you know, when it gets hard, we can't just quit. The hard is what makes it good when we get on the other side of it. Just keep moving towards your calling, towards your mission. Keep reminding yourself of who you are and who called you to do this and ask for help. It's okay to ask for help, but don't just keep questioning and looking back and saying, God, are you sure this is what I'm supposed to do? Just trust his plan for you. You see, it's all because Mary surrendered in Luke chapter 1 that the whole story was able to happen in Luke chapter 2. If she hadn't done what she did, what she had done in chapter 1, we wouldn't have had any shepherds in chapter 2. We wouldn't have had angels in the field. We wouldn't have had wise men laying gifts at Jesus' feet. And this little tiny baby, he did grow up. And he did die a brutal death. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And he only needed to be borrowed because he was only sticking around for three days, right? He rose from the grave to prove that he was who he said he was. And he had the power to take away the sins of this world. And all because it began with this ordinary little girl who surrendered to God's extraordinary plan. As we close today, I want to ask you, what could God do in your life if you would surrender to him? What promise of God could be fulfilled in your life if you would just surrender? You see, the Bible is full of really great promises. Promises like God works all things together, the good and the bad. He works them together for those who love him. He takes the mess and the chaos and the hell that you're going through and he works it for good. That's a great promise. There's a promise that says you'll find him when you seek him with all of your heart. He's not hiding from us. When we look for him, we'll see that he's right there. And there's a promise that says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No matter how good you've been or how bad you've been, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.